Well, I'm excited to open God's Word again in this fantastic book, Luke. And the deeper you get into it, the more you want to carry on reading and on and on. And I don't know if you've found that. I've had several people saying to me, they're so excited as they read this book. And um, that can only be the Spirit doing that in us. And so I, as I prayed, Lord, make us attentive to your Spirit. Because what we're hearing here today from God's Word is not just any old book. It is God's Word revealed to us. And He wants us to know these things so that He can change us and use us for His glory. And so I'd ask you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1 and we're going to be reading from verses 39 to 56. Verses 39 to 56. We've been told how Jesus' birth was introduced to the mother-to-be, Mary. And how that must have been amazing and awesome and overwhelming news that she received as a young teenager. But she accepted what had been said to her and she says at the end of verse, at the, in verse 45, uh, sorry, in verse uh, 38, And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. What a statement of faith. And this morning we're going to see how that faith is put into action. So let's read together Luke chapter 1 verse 39. Now at this time Mary arose and went in in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah. And she entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And then Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her, that is Elizabeth, about three months and then returned to her home. I want to put the same question to you this week as I did last time when we met. Do you take God at His word? And this morning I have the great privilege of speaking about two women 
two great women of faith who together took God at His word. And we see what God does through them. There are are many great women in Scripture. And today we have two of them in the same Sunday on the same service. Isn't that fantastic? I should have been wearing pink. Two examples of great women of faith who believed what God said and experienced the joy of His blessing. And so firstly I want us to turn to Elizabeth and let's look at Elizabeth's reaction to Mary and what the Holy Spirit does in her, verses 39 to 45. And I'd ask you, follow in your text with me. Otherwise you're going to get that glazed look after a while. Follow in your text. Let Scripture speak to you and then you will stay with it. So Elizabeth's joy, verse 39. Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah. And she entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. As an introduction to what's going to happen now to Elizabeth, we find Mary putting her faith into action. Remember, she'd been told this news, and I would I would say it wouldn't have been a day later, because our text says she went up to Elizabeth in a great hurry. So she would have made haste. She had no way of confirming Elizabeth's pregnancy at all. She didn't have facts, she didn't have email, she didn't have Facebook. But she takes God at his word. And so she takes his promises and she says, I must see for myself. And so she hurries off to see Elizabeth. Now in those days they didn't have the transport we have. And so she had to make a journey of 160 kilometers plus minus approximately on foot, alone, as a teenager, a young girl in a very savage world at that stage, filled with soldiers and, and robbers along the roads and mercenaries. Three days it would have taken her, they say, to get to where she went. Most likely the city of Hebron. Scripture doesn't tell us that right there, but other places in Scripture, Joshua chapter 21 verses 9 to 11 says that this city was given to the Levite descendants of Aaron as a habitation. And because Elizabeth was from the tribe of Aaron in descendant, it's most likely that where she was going was Hebron. But we're not going to die on that little hill. All right? And she, Mary hurries off. She takes God at his word. All these dangers beset her. And she would most likely have joined herself to a caravan a trade caravan going up along this route, and that in itself had great danger too. Because this here was a young girl travelling on her own. How could she defend herself? But she did, because she took God at his word, and she goes up to see her elderly cousin, Elizabeth, for mutual encouragement possibly, and for fellowship. But we know God was going to do something there, and so she's going to that place because it's a divine appointment set up by God. So what would Elizabeth's pregnancy have meant to Mary? What would it mean to her to know that her elderly cousin was pregnant? Well, I think the main thing would have been affirmation for her. And I believe that's why God takes her up there, so that she can be affirmed in her faith, so that she can have assurance that this great news that God has given to her of the Messiah, who is going to be born from her, 
Well, there was another thing that God had done. You see, because with God, nothing is impossible. And so God was taking her to see that even her elderly cousin, who she would know cannot have children physically, God had now done something in her, and Elizabeth was pregnant. And so she would be assured in her faith. So let's now go with her. She steps into the home of Elizabeth, verse 41, 40 and 41. She goes into Elizabeth's home and she greets Elizabeth. Now what she said there we don't know and we don't need to know. But what we do need to see is what happened when she greeted her. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, verse 41, look at this. Two things happen simultaneously. It's in the same verse here. The baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now how did that work? I don't know. Does Scripture tell us? Scripture doesn't tell us. We can't go further than what Scripture tells us. That's just speculation. But what we do know is that as soon as Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in Elizabeth's womb, and Elizabeth says, inspired later, the baby John leapt with joy in her womb. And at the same time, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, again, Old Testament how, what happens when someone is filled with the Holy Spirit? What is the reason for that? It is because they've got a specific task to fulfill. Remember the Holy Spirit hadn't yet come down on believers as he did a little bit later. This was still the Holy Spirit equipping those who God would use for specific purposes. And so here, Elizabeth's got a role to play. She's got to bear the son, the, the one who will be the forerunner of the Messiah. And so God equips her She is filled with the Holy Spirit. And as she's filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives her insights that she would no other way have known. Look what she says. Verse 42, And she she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. She couldn't have known that. There was no communication between these people previously. Mary has just walked in. They hadn't said a word. They've said hi, or maybe. And so this must be from the Spirit. Insight that the Spirit's given her, that Mary, who's just walked in the door, and possibly this is the first time Mary heard this as well. What? I'm pregnant already. She says, Blessed is the fruit of your womb, that one who is inside you, the Messiah. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? This great honor has befallen me. Here is my young cousin coming to see me. And she's bearing the Messiah. The Holy Spirit's shown me this. Blessed are you among women. And this is inspired blessing now. The Spirit is telling her, bless Mary. And so the Spirit Spirit does that through her. She brings out these words, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now take note of these words, please. Take note. Blessed are you among women, not above women. Take note of that. There are those who will teach that she is above the rest of womankind. No. Blessed are you among women. Why? Because it is God's grace that has been put on you. Nothing to do with you, you see. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And so I guess as Mary heard these words, she knew what God has promised to me, He has fulfilled. It must. It's in me. The Messiah has been brought about in my womb. 
And you know, when you look at that reaction of Elizabeth, you don't see a reaction there at all of envy. Lord, how come you chose this young cousin of mine and not me? I am the older one. I am the more important one, Lord. How come she gets all the honors? We don't see that in her at all. Through the Spirit's inspiring, she says, Blessed are you, Mary, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then she carries on, verse 43, and she says, Verse 44, For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. You see, what she was saying here, combined with the previous verse, He is the Lord who has come to me. What she is saying here is that I, Elizabeth, make a statement of faith here, that this young Messiah who is in you, who is yet unborn, is the same Messiah who is my Lord, Elizabeth. The one who is old. He, the unborn one, is my Messiah too. I need a Lord. I need to be born again from my sin. I am a sinful creature and He will make it possible that I can have a relationship with God. You see, she recognized this, this Messiah yet unborn to be her Lord. And so she says, you are the mother of my Lord. She knew she was a sinner when Jesus came in to that room inside Mary. And I just want to stop here and I want to make a comment in brackets. Today is Mother's Day, right? Oh, sorry, Children's Day. Today is Children's Day, according to the media. And you know, when I see this account of Elizabeth and the baby in her womb, when I see this account of Mary and bearing Jesus in her womb, we get this beautiful picture of this interaction between mothers and their children, and God and what He's planted in them. In such stark contrast to what we see in the world today. Yes, it is Children's Day, but so many children are murdered daily. And I use that word deliberately. And yes, I know there are exceptions. I know that. But so many children are murdered daily. Why? Because they're seen as mere plasma inside a mother. They are seen as a means of birth control. They are seen as getting rid of these babies to prevent a loss of personal freedom. That's the way the world sees the fetus. But what do we see here in Scripture? We see such a beautiful picture here of this interaction between mothers and the babies inside them and God working through them. And you know this same baby that was now inside Mary was the same one who can bring these very same murderers who kill these babies, who can bring them salvation. This very same one. And that's all I'm going to say on that this morning. What is Elizabeth's testimony about Mary? Go to verse 45. What does she say? And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by, by the Lord. You see, what does Elizabeth say of Mary? She says, Mary is blessed by God because she took God at His word. Mary got this news from the angel Gabriel. She knew it was from the Lord and she took God as, at His word. And yes, even though this news was amazing, even though it was humanly unbelievable news to this young teenage girl, she exercised her faith and she chose to believe the promises of God. 
And then God used her. She completely surrendered herself to Him. What a beautiful picture that God paints for us here through His Word. And I want to ask you this morning, what about you? Here is the example of two godly women believing God and His promises and putting it into action. What about you and I as we sit here in 2012? Are you completely surrendered to God's will? Or are you, do you find yourself sidestepping when things get a little bit uncomfortable and you know God is directing you in a certain way or to do something? Do you sidestep because maybe it's too hard for you and you can't see a way forward? Are you completely surrendered to God's will, whatever the circumstances may be? Do you choose to believe God's promises, deliberately choose to believe Him and to apply them at all costs? At all costs. How do we do that? See, one way to do that is to look back and to see the promises God has fulfilled already. You might not see it ahead of you now. You might not see it possible in your life. But if you look back in your life and if you look back in Scripture and you see all those promises God has fulfilled already, what would stop Him from fulfilling His promises now? We need to take God at His word. And here we have this picture of Elizabeth, a woman of faith. And she proclaims her joy before God. Spirit-inspired joy as she blesses Mary. What an attitude of humility. I don't see any jealousy there. I don't see any envy there. But pure humility as God chooses another for the greater honor of bearing the Messiah. What a woman of faith. And if you're a lady here today, you can look up to Elizabeth as a hero of faith. And men, we can look up to her too. Those traits in her which we can apply in our lives. Faithfulness. Humility to the Lord. And then we come to this beautiful hymn of praise. Mary's joy put down for us. Recorded for us so that we can share in it. Verses 46 to 55. Note Mary's response. She didn't say after this praise had been put on her. Well, thanks for that, cuz. I really did do well, didn't I? That's not her response, is it? No, she immediately gives glory to God. She immediately gives glory to God. And she breaks out, and it would have been spontaneous here and spirit-driven, in a magnificent hymn of praise. And we're going to be looking at it in detail as she goes through it, because it's so important. You see, what was happening in her was already a fulfillment of chapter 1, verse 14. What did God say there? You will have joy and gladness. Already it's coming true. And the baby isn't even born yet. So let's look at this utterance of praise. And we note, verse 46 and down, that it is filled with Old Testament allusions and quotations. You see, Scripture was pouring out of her. The Torah, as she'd been taught as a child, was just pouring out of her. As young little children, boys and girls, were taught God's Word memorized it. You see, those days there was no uh, memorization phobia as they have in education circles today. Oh, don't let them memorize. They need to know why they are doing things. Well, some things we need to know and memorize. And here they were taught God's Word from a very small age. And she had hidden God's Word in her heart. 
And when she expresses her jubilation to the Lord, it's in biblical language and using phrases that are inspired, that come from her memory, from Genesis, from Psalms, from 1 Samuel, from Job. They just pour out of this girl as she praises God. There's a very strong likeness there to Hannah's prayer. Remember Hannah in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel? What did Hannah do? Hannah was barren. She didn't have children. And so she prayed to the Lord year in, year out, year in, year out. A bit like Elizabeth in a way. And then one glad day God answered her prayer. And her jubilation, her song of praise is recorded for you in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. We're not going to go in there now. But when Mary breaks out in the song of jubilation, there's a strong resemblance here. Both devout Jewish women interacting and reacting to what God has done in their lives. And so this hymn of praise that we see is divided into three parts. Just to help us understand a little bit. First part, she speaks about God's grace to her. And the second part of it, she speaks about God's grace in the past to his faithful people. And then the third and the last section, she speaks about God's grace to Israel, the nation as they were living at that time, as well as into the future. And let's look at that now. Verse 46, follow with me please. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. My soul exalts the Lord. These are not just words coming from my lips now. My heart is breaking out into song and I am exalting the Lord. I'm making great His name. I'm telling His greatness to the world. I'm magnifying the Lord. And she says, magnify the Lord with me as we read it today. Proclaim the greatness of Jehovah. You see, there was nothing in her of making her herself great at all. She says, God is my Savior. You see, this little baby that was in her womb, still unborn, she recognizes as her Savior. God, Jehovah, He's my Savior, but this one in me, He is my Savior too. And she recognizes her need of a Savior, even though she will give birth to Him. Think of that. Think of that. And so, no... She needed to have her sins forgiven. She is not immaculate or free from sin, as is also taught. She needs to be made aware of her sin. She herself, Mary, needs to be delivered from sin, and she recognizes that she needs to be restored to fellowship with God, her Savior. You see that? And she knew that her son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one now she knew who was in her, would save his people from their sins, as was would be revealed to Joseph a little later in the story. And she knew that she was one of those sinful people who needed to be saved by this little baby. What a statement of faith. Just think yourself into that situation. Here you are, you're a young mother, you now know that you are pregnant and the one who is inside you is the Messiah. And yet you humble yourself to Him. Yet you will be the one bearing Him. You humble yourself to Him and He will be the one to save you. What a statement of faith. Verse 48, she carries on. For He has had regard for the humble state of His bond slave. 
For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. You see, Mary recognized her lowly, her lowly state before God. And she realized that it would be God who would lift her up. And when people called her blessed, it would be because God had blessed her. He had poured His grace on her. Nothing but what she had done. And when future generations, and that includes you and I, when we read this and we say, Mary is blessed, it is, she is blessed because God blessed her. He poured His grace on her. And so she carries on in verse 49, For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. I don't understand how this all came about, but this I know, holy is His name, she says. And then she lifts her eyes from her own condition and what God's been doing from her, to her, and she looks and she thinks back on the past and God's faithfulness to His own, verses 50 to 53. And His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. If you are sitting here today, you are included in that description. Generation after generation of those who fear Him. Do you fear God today? Then this promise is included for you as well. His mercy is upon you toward those who fear Him. He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who were humbled. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. You see, what was Mary saying here? God's mercy is upon generation to generation. Does that mean everyone who's born? No. There's a qualification clause here. What is it? Towards those who fear Him. And so if you're an unbeliever here today, you cannot claim this promise. There is nothing that says that God must show you mercy because you are born. God will show mercy to those, generation upon generation, who fear Him. You see, mercy and fear go together. What is this fear we're talking about? It is a holy reverence of God. A knowing who God is and who I am. I'm a mere mortal being. God is eternal, unending and almighty. I am man. He is God. And what does this God do? He shows mercy to those who fear Him. Those who give Him the reverence due. And those who do not will experience His non-mercy, His judgment. You see, what does God do, verse 51, to these who do not fear Him? He brings down the haughty, is the old English word, I love it. it. Those who are proud. Great example. King Nebuchadnezzar, what did he do? He stood up one day and he said, What a great king I am. Look at this great kingdom I've created. And I need people to worship me. And what does God say to him? You're going to be made low. And what does God do? He makes him low and Nebuchadnezzar goes and he eats grass for a number of years until God brings him to his senses again and he realizes who God is. And then he gets up from that grassy patch where he was and he gives praise to God. God brings down the haughty. God raises the humble 
verse 52. Here's a great example, Job. What happened to Job? Job was a God-fearing man, and then one day he lost everything. Everything. And what does he do? In the end, he gives God glory. God raises up the humble. And in the end, says Scripture, Job chapter 42, Job was more rich than he was at the beginning. God raised him up. He had more status, and God restored to him more than what he had lost. You see, Mary's remembering examples in the past of what God has done for his people. Verse 53, God fills the hungry with good things. King David, running away from Saul, those chasing him. And what happens? He lands up hungry one day. Him and his men are about to die from hunger. And so they go into the temple and they get the showbread. The bread that was supposed to be offered up to God and used by the priests. And he eats it. And God doesn't destroy him. And that must have been quite a meal for those men in the middle of the desert. God gives, he fills the hungry with good things. And it doesn't mean just food. Those who are spiritually hungry too. You will know if you've been without the Lord and all of us have been without the Lord. There came a day when you realized that I am spiritually hungry. And without God's influence in my life, I am lost. And then you read that good news. And the Spirit inspired it and it made sense in you. And God used that to convict you of sin. And what good news it was for your soul. Do you remember that day? He gives the, he fills the hungry with good things. And you see, even in your lives, when you look in the past, you can see God's faithfulness. And this is what Mary's remembering in her song of praise. You know, today, people are under God's common grace even though they won't recognize it. Men get up every day without God. They get up, they live their lives, and they reject God, and yet God gives them breath in their lungs. He gives them strength in their step to walk in, to go about their business, to get riches, do whatever they do. They are under God's common grace, and yet they reject God. God is showing them mercy. He doesn't owe them anything. You know, when catastrophes happen, what do people, they are so quick to say, how could a loving God allow this to happen? What they should have said is, why did God spare me? God allowed them to live through disasters. You see, the common people of the day, in Mary's day, they were also helpless. Think of their times. The Romans have occupied... The common person in the street have got no rights anymore. Many of them are going hungry because of the taxes imposed on them and the the, um, subsistence taken away. Many of them were downtrodden. Many of them were tortured and hunted down for their faith. Many of them were crucified for standing up against the Roman authorities. They were discouraged. There was no way for them to fight against the system. Mary knew it. She came from a little way out town that everyone despised. And that would be including the Romans. She understood. But God's grace was there for her as well. And here God has lifted her from that situation and she will be the one to bear the Son, the Messiah. The grace of God, you see, is so contrary to the thoughts and the ways of the world, isn't it? God's ways are so different to the the ways of the world. It is completely opposite. The world would raise up God says, no, you must be humble and I will raise you up. The world is so different. 
And then Mary remembers, verses 54 to 55, she remembers God's grace to Israel, her very nation she is now part of as she comes from her city, traveling all over Israel. God is showing his own nation mercy. What does she say? Verse 54. He has given help to Israel, his servant. Take note of that phrase, by the way. He has given help to Israel, the nation Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And so Mary is saying here, God is promising his nation right now deliverance. And it is in the form of this Messiah who is in my womb, whom I will bear. He will be the one to free these people from their sins. He will be the one to bring him, to bring in the kingdom of God. He is the Messiah. Her nation were fallen down, but God was now about to lift them up. His own nation. But note, he doesn't say all Israel. What does he say there? He says to Israel, his servant. In other words, those who submitted to him as his servants, he would raise up. And so God does not promise to raise all Israel here, but those who are submitted to him, his servant, Israel. And then verse 55, she says, As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants, and here's that beautiful word that we should all say amen to, forever. You see, God didn't just limit his promise to the nation Israel. God gives us, as Gentile believers, that promise too, because we are grafted into his nation Israel, and together with them, together with believing Jews from all the ages, God's people, We are now the church of Jesus Christ. We form Abraham's seed from then right through until eternity when Christ comes again. Is that amazing? God's promise of deliverance stands for how long? Forever. If it wasn't for this promise, we could have been playing golf today and doing all kinds of other things. But we are here praising God because of what He's done and His promises and His requirements of us to come together and worship Him because we have hope. What a magnificent statement of faith from a teenage girl. Remember that when you read this. This is how a teenage girl responds to God. And then verse 56, and this is just ending this account, but we mustn't write off any verse in Scripture. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then returned to her own home. Now, Mary was in a six month. Mary stayed with Elizabeth. Oh, sorry, Elizabeth was in a six month. Mary stayed with her for three months. You do the maths. Alright? So she stayed with Elizabeth until the baby was born. Is the deduction we make here. And then she went home. Now, during this time, three months, Mary would have started developing too. Now, imagine, she arrives back home after three months. I'll see you later, Joseph, um, Joseph, yes, I'm going away for three months to my cousin. And now she comes back pregnant. Imagine the tongues start wagging in the village when she walks in. But what do we know from Scripture? It must have been during this time 
Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25, which very interestingly Luke doesn't include. The angel Gabriel appears to Joseph and he says to him, Joseph, your wife is going to bear a son, the Messiah, who will save his people from their sins. And here are the instructions to you. Yes, this isn't from you, Joseph, but take her as your wife. This is God's doing. And so God prepares the way for Mary to come back home. And yes, the villagers' tongues would have been wagging real good. And yes, they would have been pointing fingers and making all kinds of accusations. And the gossip mongering would have been really busy in that little village. But God had prepared the way and Joseph already knew. And so Mary returns to her own home. Not to Joseph, by the way. She wasn't married yet to him. She goes to her own home. Well, that's the end of the account. And before we close God's word, we've got to ask ourselves, how does this apply to you and I? And the the Holy Spirit might already have given some application to you as we've been looking at this passage. Now I want to just very quickly point to four areas to challenge us from God's word this morning. Firstly, from Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard this news about her younger cousin receiving all the honor, She shows not a grain of envy. She shows instead godly humility and she blesses Mary. Now, very loose application to us. Those times when God honors other people above you. What is your gut reaction? I know what I've done. Do we show humility? Do we recognize that God has His plans? He chooses whomever He will for the tasks? And do we show humility? Or do we find that green monster in us, jealousy, raising its head? Secondly, Mary was filled with Scripture and I was really challenged by this. Here is a young teenage girl. She gives God praise for what's happening to her, but what comes out of her mouth? It is pure Scripture. What comes out of your mouth and mine when we praise God? Is it just those little words we think up on the spur of the moment? Or is it scripture? You see, God challenges us in this passage, like Mary, to fill ourselves with scripture. Mary was uttering what was already in her mind and her soul. She had been studying God's word and out of the abundance of her heart, her mouth spoke. We need to get to know God's word better. And I want to challenge you, 2012, may this be the year when you open that word and you dust it off. If it's got dust on it, open it up and start memorizing scripture. I said it. It's the evil word today. Memorize scripture. Don't just read it. Memorize scripture. What what do we do when we memorize scripture? You see, we mull over it because we're trying to learn it. We mull over the truths of it. We put it into our minds and that sinks down into our souls and the Holy Spirit makes it come alive in us and it has an effect. God's Word always does that. It is a living Word to you and I. But the challenge is, are we putting that Word into us? Mary was and look what came out. May God's Word dwell in us richly, says Colossians 2.16. May it dwell in us richly. 
May this church, Wanganui East Baptist, that God has preserved for 100 years, may we be known as a as the people of the book because we've memorized God's word and it comes out of us. May you be known as someone who is of the book because it is coming out of your mouth continuously. Thirdly, we see in our text that Mary was humble. And even though God had, um, she had been, and even though she had been chosen by God to bear the Son of God, she acknowledges her own need of a Savior. She didn't say, well, I'm important, I'm bearing the Son of God, and so I don't need to kind of fall into all these other things. No. She said, He is my Savior. She uses the language of grace. Grace had taught her that she needs to feel her own sins and be aware of her own sins. She needs to come to God for forgiveness and she needs to be made right with God again. She needed to know she was fully dependent on God. And she knew that. It comes out in this text of hers. J.C. Ryle said it this way, A man has just so much Christianity as he has humility before God. I'll repeat that. A man has just so much Christianity as he has humility before God. It doesn't matter what you say you are, but if you are not humble before God, if you do not realize that He is God, that He is your Savior, and that you are a puny sinner who needs His grace, and you can call yourself a Christian till you're blue in the face, you are not a believer. We need to be humble before God. And then lastly, we see that Mary was thankful. It just poured out of her. We looked at all those verses. She actively and deliberately gives thanks to God for the grace and the mercy shown to her. You see, we need to get up from our beds every single morning with this deep conviction that we are what? Debtors to mercy alone. When you get up in the morning, is your head so filled with plans you haven't got a thought for God? You see, we need to get up in the mornings and have the first thought, I am a debtor to mercy alone. God has spared me another day. I'm still breathing and it's all of God. It's His grace at work. And the mercies I'm going to experience are all mercies that God has given to me, not because I deserve it, but because He is gracious. And so when you have your breakfast cereal on the table, this is God's grace at work. It's not because you deserve it. And when you go to work and you have a good day at work, it's not because you deserve it. It's God's grace at work. And when you ride up and down between work and you don't have a car accident, it's not because you're a good driver. It is because God is gracious to you. We are debtors to His mercy. Do you get that point? And are you then thankful to God for that? Do you have, to quote, an attitude of gratitude to God? Do you have or do you just take these things and they go by you and you, have, you haven't stopped ever to give God thanks? Augustus M. Top Lady, I'm going to end with a hymn as I started this morning. Listen to these words. A debtor to mercy alone, of covenant mercy I sing God's promises to us from Abraham right through to today. Nor fear with thy righteousness on, when I've got God's righteousness on me, I do not fear my person and offering to bring to him. The terrors of law and of God with me 
can have nothing to do. Why? My Saviour's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from view. His blood covers your sin. The work which His goodness began, the arm of His strength will complete. His promise is yea and amen, and never was forfeited yet. God has never broken any of His promises. Things future, nor things that are now, nor all things below or above, can make Him His purpose forego, or sever my soul from His love. Take comfort from these words this morning. Just as God was with Elizabeth, just as He was with Mary, just as His promises came to be for them, God will keep His promises from His Word to you and I. Right through your lifetime, when you close your eyelids, into eternity, when your eyes open, God's promises will still be there for you. Take strength from those words. And when things get too much for you, and I know some of you are going through hard times, when things get too much for you, hold on to the grace of God because His grace surrounds you. Hold on to God. He is surrounding you. He will not let you go. Let's pray. Lord, we read this account of these two faithful women who put their faith into action by believing you and then experiencing the joy that your Spirit gave them. And Lord, we pray too that we would learn from these lessons this morning and that we would be challenged by your word to take you at your word and all these promises that we have, and we have so much more than Mary had when she uttered these words. We have your whole word given to us already. Lord, may we take your promises to heart. May we believe you and may we stake our lives on your word. May we fill ourselves with your word so that when we speak, when we pray, when we give songs of praise, it will be your word coming over our lips and from our hearts. Do a great work in us by your grace and through your mercy we pray because we are sinners who need you. Without you, we cannot exist. Lord, hear the cries from our heart and if there are any here this morning who still do not know you, may they realize that they only live because of your grace and mercy alone. Nothing in them keeps them alive but your grace and mercy. And do a great work in them, I pray, today, so that you will be glorified. Amen.